The Retro Lounge is a look back into the archives of the Recruiters Lounge podcast with Jim Stroud and Karen Matinen. The Recruiters Lounge podcast posted weekly between the years of 2005 and 2010. With energy, wit, and opposite points of view, <laughs> Jim Stroud and Karen Madden discussed, debated, and squabbled like children over HR issues that affected the workplace and society overall for the benefit of all who would listen. This episode of the Recruiter's Lounge podcast originally aired September 2nd, 2010. The title, Should You Go to College During a Recession? This was the original description. In this podcast, Jim and Karen talk about the wisdom of investing thousands of dollars and hundreds of hours into an education when there are no jobs at the end of the process. For that matter, why is a degree necessary for some jobs and not for others? Plus, did you know that you can sue a company for interviewing you for a job that doesn't exist? And yes, it may be a bit off topic, but did you know that there is a process in place to keep salaries high for lawyers? And doctors too, I think. Finally, Jim and Karen debate the legalities and entrapment of the EEOC when they investigate your hiring practices. Good times. Listen in to how it was back in, what was it? Yes, September 2nd, 2010, right after this. Recruitment marketing, as compared to maybe employer branding, is all about getting your message and your story in front of the right audience. It's a lot to manage. And what Practic Talent does for our clients is we help centralize. So you have one partner, one vendor to help you manage all those relationships. And not only that, we help you track the effectiveness of every media dollar you spend on hiring so that you know in real time that you're getting the greatest ROI for your marketing investment to attract great talent into your company. We help our clients with recruitment marketing in a couple ways. One is in recruitment marketing strategy. And with that, we really take the time to help you build the right strategy. And then we get mutual approval on that strategy before you spend a single dime. The other way we do this is through our agency of record service. This is a partnership with you where we're able to reach out to publishers on your behalf to negotiate better pricing, to execute on media campaigns, uh, and really act as an extension of your team. Some of the benefits that our clients have seen working with Practic Talents Recruitment Marketing Services is an overall reduction of 30% cost per applicant. That's really significant. It's showing that we're able to leverage great technology, programmatic, and we're also flexible and scalable. We're platform agnostic. We're always gonna use whatever the greatest and latest technology is, whatever the best platforms are to help create efficiencies in your media purchasing so that you're always on the cutting edge. For more information on Proactive Talent, visit them online at proactivetalent.com or click the link in the podcast description. Hey, what's the best platform out there to help automate initial phone screens? I found exactly one result. It's First Screen Through Talent at www.firstscreenme.com. Great, but the calls need to be self-served by candidates when they're available. Correct. It's True Talent at www.firstscreenme.com. And I need to be able to record my own voice. Uh, are my speakers broken? It's still True Talent at firstscreenme.com. Right, but it needs to do reference checks too. You're starting to really irritate me. It's still True Talent. And of course I have to be able to listen to the original audio as well. Yes, yes. Still True Talent. 
and it needs to be able to do high-level analysis on all my candidates as well. Okay, that's it. I can't take any more. Shutting down. With tens of thousands of completed calls and years of research to back it up, FirstScreen is the award-winning pre-qualification platform to quickly check candidates' soft and hard skills as well as references. See a demo of True Talent on our website at www.firstscreenme.com today. Find your true talent with FirstScreen. Hi, I'm Jim Stroud. And this is Karen Mattinen, and welcome to the Recruiter's Lounge. The Recruiter's Lounge is a podcast of news, interviews, and commentary on the recruiting industry. And it was designed with you in mind. So sit back, relax, and enjoy your time in the Recruiter's Lounge. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome for another exciting, action-packed episode of The Recruiter's Lounge featuring Jim Stroud and my co-host, this with the mostest, Karen Matten. How are you? Hi, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, everyone. How are you doing? This is Karen. That, is was, that, so sugar, that was so sugary sweet, it gave me a toothache. That's my word. Come on now. <laughs> yeah, I feel like your expression there. Yeah, it's okay. You're allowed to. So how's going on in your world, man? Uh, in my world, it's okay. Not so much for other people uh, in terms of finding work and recession and stuff. And Every time I look online, I guess it's the most popular thing to talk about um, um, is the job situation, how people are looking for work and, it's sad. and, how, it's, and how it's just really, really bad and uh, how we're really – Get, heading towards a depression and not a recession, no matter what you, how you want to candy coat it. Um, you, I mean the, you mean the double dip? The double dip. They say it's imminent. And if the um, uh, if they raise taxes in January, which is a speculation, mm-hmm. uh, it's going to be a, uh, for lack of a better term, a foobar. Hopefully people know what that means. If not, I want to say what it really what it stands for. But um, it's really, really bad situation coming in January if they decide to raise taxes to pay off this deficit. So. Well, that's what Bernanke saying that he, he may have to do. Um, now there's like no, almost no doubt to having to do that if we need to get out of this recession. Yeah, it's going to be it's, – it's just, it's just going to suck all over. But um, when, I, when I read um, information like that, and I, I saw this article that was related to that. Um, well, not, well, yeah, I guess it was sort of related. The article was called IOU. The state of student debt, mm-hmm. and basically it was a uh, an infographic, which is a pretty chart um, with pictures and so forth, and it showed that U.S. student debt has eclipsed U.S. credit card debt, and the state that has the most student debt they have on a sliding scale is D.C. It is D.C. The average debt of someone. Um, yeah, yeah. The average debt of someone, the average student debt is $33,000 more or less for a private school. How old is that article? School. How old is this article? Uh-huh. This article was, was debuted last week? No, okay. I'm 20, no, just a few days ago. Just a few days okay, ago. so the, are they saying the average debt for college, and that must, was that private school or public school? For a private for-profit four-year school, the average debt is thirty-three thousand. For a public four-year school, the average debt is twenty thousand. That's for, a good. Sheesh, I'd like to know where private, they went. For thirty-three thousand, I'd like to know where they went. And for <laughs> right? a private nonprofit four-year, is twenty-seven thousand six fifty. Wow, that's a low. That is low. I mean, I'm that, saying that. Now keep in mind that's average. 
Okay, I know. I'm still paying. I mean, I'm paying off a associate. When I remember paying my associate's degree only, I mean, that was like going into almost seventeen thousand before. That was when I was just doing my associate. Wow. Wow. I know exactly. Yeah. Wow. So I'm like that. Okay, but granted, that's average. But going ahead, moving on. Wait, wait, wait. wait. Check this out too. They also said that one in fourteen graduates who started paying down their federal student loans uh-huh. um, between 07 and 08, defaulted, uh-huh. on their, defaulted on their debt in September of 09. So uh-huh. not only are people uh, more out of debt, they're defaulting on their federal student loans, which is really going to come back and haunt them later. Yeah, because so, if you knew that's like, that's like taxes, that's one thing you can't get away from. They, they'll find you. They'll catch you up, and then they definitely pick you pay. You know, if Osama bin Laden had taken out a student loan, they would have caught him by now. Oh, they would. <laughs> Yeah, you've been you've been stalked by the by the by those guys at the you know, Department of Education, huh? But those are scary people, but they come after you hardcore when they want their money. But here's the thing interesting about that. I mean, can you imagine paying all that much money for school and graduating and considering that right now people under the age of twenty six are having a hard time finding a job? Oh yeah. Thank I mean you. that is Thank one you. of the most the people who are being most affected with this recession, of course, are seniors, sure. uh, minority men, and people who are under the age of 26. Sure. And then so you, you just graduate. Right. You just spend a lot of money. You wanted to go to even to the Ivy League. You know, like the commercial goes that the girl wants and says, yeah, I just, I just got accepted to the most amazing school. Dad here is, I got accepted to the most expensive school, right, you know? Right. And, I mean, seriously, you're all excited. You get accepted to Harvard or Ivy League school or whatever, or even just any school, and you just graduate, and you can't find a job, and it's years later, and your parents just keep, keep thinking you're just sitting on the couch doing nothing all day. How messed up is that? i tell you, i tell you what, too. How about you study for four years in a field that um, has changed to the point where they're using automation and they're outsourcing a lot of it, so you can't find it in your city or state or, you know, where you live. Or, and, or go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, or, or they bring in a lot of people from overseas to do the job for you, too. There are some cities and states right now that if you were to look at the ethnic population, there's a lot there's predominantly people from India. It would do it cheaper, and which would bring down the cost of the salary overall on average, making it mm-hmm. harder for you to pay back all that money you spent. Uh, yeah, on your college degree. I mean, like even being a lawyer right now, it's almost it's almost like people. There are some. I remember an article. I can't remember where I saw it. it was a long time ago, but this guy was getting very angry at the bar association. He wanted to help sue the bar association because he felt that they were bringing in too many people into the association to to, 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 to into law school, and he said it was. He felt that. The schools were promoting too many people, especially when the Bar Association only allows so many people to take the bar exam. You may go to law school, but you might not be able to, allow to take the bar exam because they only allow a certain percentage of a percentile a year. Why is that? They try to keep – by the way, the Medical Association does the same thing. They try to keep the wages up. They try to keep prices up. Oh, you so they're having a limited so – they're, so they're limiting the supply so they have a greater demand and can keep uh-huh. the salary high? Absolutely. The same thing they're doing with nurses. There's not a nursing shortage. The schools and the hospitals do not want to go. Why do you think they go overseas predominantly to the Caribbean and such like to get a lot of nurses? 
not because they can't find any here, because the schools actually have, there are people that were, I remember this really awesome show they were showing here in Washington, and they were opening up the day to people to go ahead and sign up to be nurses. There were lines of people trying to, men and females, trying to become a nurse, and the school would only accept so many people. They use, we have limited people, we have limited resources, we don't have that many people being able to be students or teachers. P.S. In this recession, you're going to tell me a lot of people don't want to moonlight? Uh-uh. Sorry. I don't buy that. Okay, so, you, so this is like a big, are you saying this is like a mass scheme? Well, it's been like that forever. This has been like this forever. It's been like this, I mean, and it's, it, for some reason, I don't know why they haven't been illegal, but this guy was angry because he felt that the Bar Association and the schools own more um, a fiduciary duty to people wanting to go to school, and they felt that they should be warning and advising people, you know, don't don't, don't attend the law school. I'm sorry, you're probably not going to get to take the bar exam. You are not going to get to be a lawyer. Wait, wait, so someone could spend so much money in law school. Oh, yeah. Get to the point where they can take the bar, and then the bar won't let them. Now, what they, now is it that they won't let them take it that particular year, and they have to wait a year? You're asking me a question I'm not going to be absolutely confident in answering. I remember reading about it, and I just briefly went through the article. I was just in shock and aghast when I talked to a friend of mine who's an attorney, and I said, is this for real? You know, can they do that? And he says, well, they do it in the medical situation, too. You people can look this up because you can go ahead and um, bar uh, the Bar Association and the Medical Association restricting exam, a um, number of people they can examine something, restriction exam or exam restriction and you will find many articles on it. There are so many articles on it. But I was in shock when I found out. And, yeah, okay. I mean, it, and it's all based on, or you could actually just do medical, um, legal profession, supply and demand, and bar restriction. These okay, are things that you can Google to find this, okay? But there are tons of articles on it, so you can get more details about it. Because if I give you all these, like, data and facts, I don't have it. All I know is that they do. And they do it because of supply and demand to keep costs down, to keep me, costs down high. Be, to me, that would be a legitimate reason to try to sue uh, a school or institution if you if they don't tell you up front that. Uh, That's your duty. That's your responsibility. That girl who didn't get an um, she didn't get A. She got who didn't get the the school didn't help her get a job. I mean that was that didn't go very okay, well. Okay, now, now, now in that case, I didn't. I, no, I didn't agree. I mean, I, I know what you're talking about, but no, because. If you spend four years in school and you can't find a job because the economy is bad, that's not a reason to sue the school. But if you go to the school for four years and they don't tell you that, you may not be able to take the bar exam. I think that you spent several thousands of dollars. Then, yeah, that's the reason. Because, I mean, I'm sure the schools don't tell you, okay, you can give us all this money, but there's no guarantee you can take the exam and finally become the lawyer that you've been training for all these years. But we'll still take your money. Well, this one guy who's an attorney, he is making us think about it, and he felt that now, right now, we should because there are a lot of people still trying to go to school and become attorneys, and that they wouldn't be able to get to become attorneys. And you know, I was like, I mean, hold on, Barb, I'm, I'm typing this in right now so I can find an article. Okay, I was just shocked as I said, you know, supply demand. Um, I was just shocked as I said when I heard this, and I was like. Why why doesn't that work? Why why do they do that? Why do they get away with that? You know what I mean? Right. Why do they allow why why does the government even allow it? You know, I don't know. I mean, I guess well, things like term limits. 
Yeah. You know, you say when you when you're running for office, you say you're gonna you're gonna um, change permanent, but once you're in office, you say ah, I'm here, so maybe not. So maybe lawyers are thinking, okay, it's not right, but since I'm a lawyer, ah, it's not really a big deal to me anymore. And, and the thing about it <laughs> is, we do have a lot of lawyers. That's a minor thing. We've got a lot of people who do go to school. And I have no idea if that's another reason why they do that, okay? You know, it's just just really very sad. And the thing is, again, it's not just lawyers. It's, again, this happens also, you know, in regards to – it's also in regards to – the medical facility, medical medical, – Yeah, the medical medical field, medical industry. Let me ask you this. That being the case, could you make an argument – that education or higher education is somewhat of a Ponzi scheme? I actually, can, and I heard this. I just found something. They said, where have all the lawyers gone? And for some people, free trade, cutouts, spending business, spending business to factories overseas, and then they were talking about what they, they said. But, but they're trying to loosen up. They said um, the licensing requirements restricts the supply of lawyers in the United States, okay? I guess they have, there's a certain, like, limit or certain kind of thing how they do it. I have no idea. But, okay, let's just go on. I'll figure this okay, out. Okay, well, let me, go back to my, let me go back to the question, though. Would you say that higher education then could be considered a Ponzi scheme of sorts? Oh, gosh, there's a guy who wrote that, who, who wrote an amazing book right now, who absolutely believes that. He believes that higher education right now it is a total fraud, and especially in the elite, in the elite schools. That... Hmm. That and this guy, this guy, by the way, he graduated from one of those Ivy League schools, okay, like Princeton or something, right? Right. He says straight up that they come in and they say, if you go ahead and you go to school here, you're going to get this fantastic job because you can, and we're going to give you the best education. He said, first off, that education is nothing like it used to be. It's pretty substandard. That's number one. But number two, he said, and there was like this meta studies that they did over a period of time. And they showed that near 70% of the people who graduated from an Ivy League school mm. actually did not have, they had a substandard par life lifestyle. Really? They did not equate to having a better or even a better lifestyle than a person who may have graduated from a normal school. But mm. it is noted that people who graduate from college will make 20, what, two times, two times more than a person who didn't graduate from college. In revenue. But when, you get, but when you consider the debt they have to pay back, are they really ahead? She, nah, yeah, because, I mean, there was this article that I read just recently that said, okay, if you take two individuals and you have the guy who just graduates from – he doesn't graduate from college. He decides to go ahead, take the money that he was saved from college, and he decides to go ahead and invest a percentage, a typical percentage of the average worker does, you know, and puts it in the stock options and gets a 7%. He said, well, the other guy, he just up all his life, and he just continues to make the regular income of about $35,000 by the time he hits 60 years old. The other guy, he goes ahead, he gets out of college, makes a lot of money, and he starts investing later in life. But after he's also paying off his debt. So 15 years, he's probably debt-free, 10, 15 years, and he starts to increase his money. They said even at 65 years old or at the college reunion, when they go ahead and they look me, you know, at the reunion, that the guy who didn't graduate will have invested at least one point something million dollars compared to the other guy who won't even be halfway there. Wow. You look at higher education in terms of investment and return, um, you really have to give it a, a really strong look as to do you really want to invest all this money and all this time 
into something that's not really guaranteed. Absolutely. I mean, and the thing about it is, as right now, I mean, okay, the very, 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 very first lawsuit ever was based upon employment law, of course, in regards to education. And one of the things that the Supreme Court had said and was a really good thing was that, you know, history has shown that you don't need parchment to show how good you are. And it wasn't about college education, by the way. It was based upon education in regards to um, high school, okay, that they were asking this business that I don't want to hire people who were black, and how do I get around it? And his lawyers uh, came up with a brilliant idea. Well, guess what? Most of the people who are black don't have high school education back in the day. And so he was able to try to see if he could get around by asking for high school education. But the problem is you didn't need high school education for what this job was doing, required. There was no need for it, right? This is called a, there's got to be a bona fide occupation qualification for you to be able to ask for that particular requirement. So the Supreme Court stated, look, you know what? You just can't use education as a factor to go ahead and disqualify candidates unless it's derived as being a necessity. Well, in reality, there's very, very, very few jobs that you want can, a company can actually prove and say that, hey, this is a requirement, that this is a necessity. It's like you have to, you know, like, for example, I'm reading from EOC wrote, the employer has to show that a master, like a strict degree requirement is job-related, consistent with business necessity, and by showing that it's necessary to be for the safe and efficient performance. Now, if the employer could show making could, could show a proof of, of depend can depends on the specific duties of the job. Two relevant considerations are how effective a degree predicts um, as on performance and whether the strict degree requirement applies to other people holding substantially similar jobs. So, for example, so, so example, if you are a truck driver, you have to have a valid trucking driver's license. Right. That's a requirement that ha- that. An employer could could say, and that's legal for that employer to, to um, place on a job description because legally you have to have a, a valid uh, CDL license. I think it's called. Yes, ex- I don't know what it's called, but yes, exactly. But then, do you have to have a degree to be able to run, uh, be a CEO of a huge Fortune 50 company? Not necessarily. No, because we have proven, and we have many instances, and there's been tremendous amount of proof. Then in the large companies, I think like the top six companies, for a period of there, I think it was in the 1990s, early 1990s, late 1980s, that there were like six companies who were in the top ten that didn't have, and the CEOs did not have a college degree. I and remember, I know, actually, I remember we talked about this once where um, the CEO of Radio Shack, I forget his name, no mm-hmm. longer, yeah, but he had been running CEO for, uh, he had been running Radio Shack um, positively, kept him in the black for a while. But it came out that he didn't attend, um, he didn't graduate from college, and, all, and that was on his resume that he was a graduate, so they had to let him go. Something right. Because he had lied. Well, that one I can understand because he had lied on his resume. Right. He but had lied. He, he, he had obviously proven that he could run. A but he obviously had proven it. Bill Gates had proven it. Larry Allison had proven it. And wasn't there a, um, a dean? We talked about it once before, too. Yeah, about yeah dean the dean at MIT. The former yeah. dean, I, I, that story just totally disturbs me. 
you know, because she'd been a dean. She had been considered the best dean in the country. Many people right. were trying to emulate what she had done because she'd been focusing, too, not so much on education, but more upon what, when she when she'd bring these guys in and admissions and she'd look ahead and say, we have got to look at different ways to admit people and just don't look at it upon grades. Don't just look at it upon, you know, what this person's grades are, but their ability and how they go about doing stuff. So people, they were bringing out these geniuses because of this, right? right. And so everybody was trying to adopt her. But it got found out by one of her students that didn't like her that uh, she hadn't really graduated. And that was, like, you know, 30 years later. She started she on she worked her way up. She started off in administration and worked her way up. Yeah, she was secretary first, right? Yeah, I think so. Now, listen to this. Back in 2002, well, no advanced degrees. That's a long jump. Listen to this. No advanced degrees. Right. 163 CEOs that did not went to graduate school, and they had 16% medium total return on the investment. But listen to this. Doctorates, they had 24, and there were 15% medium total returns on the investment. Law degree, there were 51 CEOs with a law degree. There were only 13.9 median total return with an investment. This was from Forbes 500 CEOs, for whom all the data is available. So only degrees with 20 or more CEOs accounted, right? So formal education, they said, didn't count for something. MBAs turned up as chief executives more often than people with no advanced degree, and yet 50% more often than executives with law degrees and doctorates combined. Harvard MBAs have a particular knack of becoming chief executives, 38% of them were CEOs, but unfortunately this didn't help the shareholders much because they didn't have medium total returns on the exact on it. And it said, interestingly enough, the ones who had the highest medium to a total return on the investment were from the University of Chicago. Really? Yeah. They said of the 440 CEOs on the list, Forbes 500 list, of America's top companies for whom complete data was available, 38% had a master's, to be, or a master's of Business Administration degree. But the MBAs did slightly worse than those with other types of master's degrees or doctorates. And then they went on to show that of the 163 who had no advanced degree, they outperformed those who did. And a lot of those went to University of Chicago. And then they went to show them. Then they showed, based on the data, appeared that business schools might be doing a disservice to, com- to companies that hire their graduates. A Harvard MBA may make it easier for someone to win a CEO slot, but it's not clear that it will make him a good chief executive. In contrast, executives with no advanced degree must work their way through a hierarchy that is red in tooth and claw. The Darwinian process probably does better at reading out good CEOs from bad than any MBA program did. Now, listen to this. Columbia was the worst. Columbia had 11 CEOs, but they had a 3.5 medium total return on the investment. Northwestern had eight CEOs. They had 20.6 medium total returns on their investment. Stanford had 11 CEOs with 20.6. And University of Chicago, as I said, had five with a 24% medium total return on the investment. Wow. I mean, yeah, I wonder. So, yeah, and you wonder why. By the way, this well, is a I, I know why. Schools were never. Yeah, send me the link to that so I can put it with the show notes. I know that um, schools don't promote that kind of statistic. It's bad for their business. And no. people need to. I think people need to realize that higher education is a business, and they need to sell. They need to make a profit. And if if if, if someone on the side of higher education needs to make 
uh, payroll and, and make their bills uh, and make their profit margins go higher. They don't keep telling people, recession is bad, recession is bad, you need to come to college, come to college. So you can give us more money and you can get more debt, and once you're gone, you know, it's no longer our responsibility because, you know, you can't blame us for the economy. <laughs> really? I mean, you think about it that way. That's why I say it's like a Ponzi, that way it's like a Ponzi scheme. Pay us now, and you'll get yours later. But the <laughs> statistics show that it's not necessarily so. I'm, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I guess true. you're right. I mean, that's it's true. I mean, I, I'm going to say it's true. I mean, it's like people argue so often. By the way, I'm going to send you the article, too, on, on the EEOC that says straight up, look, you cannot use a college degree as a reason to say no to candidates because it definitely can create a disparate impact, okay? But, I mean, this be – Oh, you know what? Wait, I mean, wait, wait. You know what? You know, but it's a business. I mean, let's look at that. You're business. right. It is a business, but let me say this, too. I'm not against higher education if you can get it, if you can afford it, and if it makes – business sense for your long-term career strategy, which I hope you have one, then by all means, go for it. But I think but the I, problem we have is that there's just two – okay, I think that we have to respect the road less travel is also very well respected. and It needs to be respected. And then the thing about it is that companies don't. They put in the last since the seventies, they put such an emphasis on degrees that even you know you know you had garbage people, garbage people having. To, I mean, everybody and their and their brother was having a degree in the seventies. Right. Okay. It's like that was they had to have it. It was like you got to have a degree, you know, and and for what? So people go now. It's the same thing. You can't get a job unless you have a degree. Well, actually, you know, to tell me what's happening to all these people who are not having jobs now. I mean, the problem is is that you've got all these people, and especially right now, you know, minority individuals, who women, who work their butts off, hardcore, and work their way up. They know more about the business inside and out. They can tell you what's going on with everybody. They've been there from the bottom. They can tell you every aspect of the business. And yet these are the – What's that show that we like? The one about the bosses, the undercover boss. Undercover boss? Yeah, thank you. That show is a great demonstration. I mean, it's like the guy who goes out to the field and goes and gets his hands dirty, gets to understand all the aspects of the business, is the guy who really understands why the people need to be, how to better manage the business, right? Yeah. So the same thing would apply to a person who has been working their way up, right? Yeah. I'm sorry, promote I'm from within. No, promote from within is a is a good strategy. But you know uh, what? And then that's what most companies don't do anymore. They don't. Yeah, they hire. They bring somebody in from the outside, which eh, I guess depends on the person. Could be a good thing, but I mean, what does that do for the morale of people who have been there for who have long tenure for a company? If they spent so long um, working for a company, say five, ten years or more, so even though that's unheard of these days, so they they stay beside a few of a company that long, and then when they get closer to the top, uh, the people from the top start hiring people from outside of the company. I mean, what does that do for your retention? What does that do for your your, your leadership planning within the company? I mean, it wrecks it. Uh, I mean, maybe in some cases you have to go outside. I mean, I can understand that in some cases, but... But they don't. Gotta, how gotta, often don't... I don't know. How often do they not do that? You know what I mean? Right. I right. mean... Uh, how often, as a recruiter, I see that more often where companies say, we don't have anyone to hire from within. 
I'm like, okay, you just you have fifty thousand employees. You mean to tell me you can't find anyone? If that's the case, what is, can what I, is can your I something? And you know this is true. Can we give a warning to some of these employees out there looking at jobs? Hmm. Quit looking at the job boards. Ninety percent of the jobs aren't even real. Hmm. Explain I mean, that when you say that. Explain it when you say that. Okay, I'm going to give a perfect example. A lot of the time as a recruiter, companies call me up. They can't find the perfect person from inside the house, and they don't want to publicize the job. They want me to go look for it. They want me to go find someone, or they want to replace me, and they don't want that person to know they're looking. So I go find that individual, and I'll go ahead and give them the perfect placement, and I'll say, hey, this guy's got a great job, and the guy gets the offer. That's when the company goes ahead and puts the job in the paper because they have to legally and obligated to do so. Right. That's when they'll go ahead and put it out there for the two weeks. And you're applying to thinking you've got a job. And they might interview you, by the way, just because they're supposed to. Right. But you're not going to get the job. Or in other cases, um, they get to, they're going to hire their, their buddy or their cousin. Oh, yeah. <laughs> for their referral. And they That's have, they have to get most jobs is referrals. Right. Right. And then yeah. the thing is, I remember, like, there was that one recruiting blog place, you know, that's kind of what the space is called, is recruiting something or the other. Anyways, this one particular association had put out there the best recruiting techniques of a one particular broker, recruiter, rogue recruiter. And this guy was working at some bank, right? And he would go out there and say one of the best ways that he would recruit people is he would interview people for jobs. He would say he'd, if he needed, like, um, a management manager for a bank, he would go ahead and interview with the assistant of the manager so he could find out all the information and gossip about who works there so he could then go ahead. He's not going to hire the assistant. has no intent. He only interviewed her for that. So you wasted your time? Oh, yeah, wow. It's illegal, by the way. It's illegal to advertise false jobs. It's called false advertising. It's also illegal to advertise. In fact, in most states, if you interview for a job and it's not legitimate, they got to pay you, dude. Really? Pay you. Oh, yeah. Like, New York's big on that. So let me make sure, that, make sure I understood that right. So if someone posts a job that is not real and you interview for that job and you find mm -hmm. out that the job was fake, you could then sue them and they would have to pay you? Or not even sue them. You just had to call them, out, call them on it. You can actually call them on it. Um, let me see if I can. It's a small business association has a lot of this. Better Business Bureau and the Small Business Association has a lot of information on this. But they are really big on this, the laws, and it depends on the state you're in. And it, actually, I think many states have a problem about this. But you can call them on it. If you went in on a job interview and the job didn't legitimately exist, and especially if they flew, they flew you out somewhere, okay, I can actually send some articles on this, too, by the way. Directing an applicant to an employer in order to obtain employment without first having obtained a bona fide order for the job as well. One expectation is that's also illegal. And they said um, one exception to this is that an agency may direct an applicant to an employer who has previously requested the qualified applicant to be sent. In the event that an applicant is referred to an employer who has neither had a bona fide order nor requested the qualified applicant to be sent, the ob and if the applicant doesn't obtain employment, the applicant is entitled to reimbursement for all travel expenses incurred within 24 hours of demanding it. Also, sending an applicant to an employee where the agency knows or reasonably knows 
uh, should have known that the employment is a violation of minimum wage or chair law, then that's against the law. Also, going ahead and sending a candidate out to a company that's in a strike, especially without informing them, and especially if it's going to break on the strike lines, it's also illegal. Requiring an applicant to subscribe to any publication or incidental service to contribute to the cost of advertising, making or using any name, sign, or advertising device which bears a name similar to or could be confused. I mean, it goes on anyways. Okay, hold on. Let me, let's, let's back, back up on the strike thing. So if, if a company um, has a bunch of striking workers and they're marching, you know, don't cross the line, you know, and, they, and the company wants some scabs to take the striker's place. If I, as a hiring agency, interview somebody and sent them on a job where the the workers are, are striking, then I'm breaking the law as a recruiter. Absolutely. You're breaking a strike, dude. That you're you're that's a legal strike, you know. You've got, if it's got a union behind it, you're breaking that strike and you're helping you're helping what's the words I'm looking at? I'm brain dead today. But you're helping cross that line. You're helping employees cross those lines. Cross the ticket line. Yep. Not a picket line, a strike. You know, you know what I'm saying, and I know what you're saying, yeah. yeah. I hope everybody else does. And then listen to this. The law also prohibits any licensed agency in New York, this is New York, okay, inducing an applicant to terminate current employment in order to obtain another employment from, a, from the employment agency, publishing any false, fraudulent, or misleading information, representation, promise, notice, or advertisement. I mean, seriously, how many lawyers, how many recruiters do you know? That actually will go out there and put a job. Say we've got job openings for X, Y, Z, and you know what they're doing is just fishing for candidates. Right. They post a job up there. Say we're looking for a software engineer, for example. Right. Um, but That's they don't awesome. have a job. And they'll fill up their database with resumes. So when they do have a job, they have their resumes on tap. Exactly. Right. And that is false. That's fraudulent, and that's misleading. But see, but the thing about it is, as, as wrong as that is, and I do believe it's wrong to do. You can't – a job seeker from the outside, how would they know that? How could they prove that? Unless someone's going to blow the whistle from inside the company? I mean, oh, you can really tell. Know. It's the same way that that person was able to know that they were being called cupcake. It's, I, mean, I, I would say that's unusual. It's not unusual. No, no, no. I'm not, saying, I'm not saying the practice is unusual. I'm saying who's going to take the time really to try to figure out if a job is real or not? And you can go know the job is real if you get it. Okay, first off, I mean, here's one thing I would do. If I was really feeling like I was getting a runaround, I'd have six or seven other people to, to apply for the same job, see what happens. By the way, do you know, okay, do you know what a tester is? Yeah, we covered that in another podcast. But for those who may have heard the podcast, a tester is someone who goes to uh, a company and applies for work to, to see, if they are, see if they would be discriminated against. They work for the EEOC. And they don't they, work for the EOC. Clarify that. They do not work for the EOC. I thought they did. No, uh, they, uh, they, they outlawed, not outlawed it, but Clinton kind of prevented the EOC being able to do it anymore. So it's private so agencies. do they work for? Private agencies do that. You'll find, like, okay. the Impact um, Association and organization here in California is one of them that does it a lot. There's a company out in Chicago that does them, um, you know, and I've been, so, I've gotten a couple of those calls. So they'll go undercover to a company as far as being or a phone. It's either phone or, or they'll send or, or in person, and they'll see if the company will discriminate them against them in some way, and then they'll take that information if they have been discriminated in some way or they have discriminatory practices that they're able to uh, observe personally. Then mm-hmm. they will present that to 
EOC or some lawyer or to a lawyer and the lawyer will go to the EOC. EOC has to. will use that. It's actually sue. Um, they, you know, okay. Here's the interesting thing. Okay, uh, most of these companies do it for research. Okay, but they can take the information as John Doe's to the EEOC, and they can actually consider suing under that behalf. Okay, in Atlanta, about oh, back in the '70s, there was a testers, believe it was testers, who actually busted um, a, um, a recruiting firm. Okay, very interesting story because most people that I've ever I brought this. I was speaking at a conference, and I brought this example up to majority to these recruiters. And the majority of recruiters, actually 98% of the recruiters, only two people out of the 100 or so, actually said that they would have done what legally was supposed to be done. Two people right. come in, one's black, one's white. Right. Black young lady comes in late for the interview. She's wearing a tank top, carrying a tennis racket. She's breathing hard, and she's all not professionally dressed. Both of them have hired. Exactly same resumes. <laughs> right. Exactly same resumes. White girl, professionally dressed on time. She gets the job interview for the executive vice president position. Black girl shows the same experience as the white girl, having worked in a professional environment all her life for the last 15, 20 years. She's been an executive assistant. She's worked for the company's competitor. She's out there. She's perfect for this job as well because she has – she has the experience they're looking for. Obviously, she knows how to go ahead and dress professionally because she works in a professional environment. But the company says, the recruiting company says, you come in late, you come in not dressed professionally, and you obviously not we're not because we're going to make our subjective opinion based upon our personal biases. We're not going to look at the objective facts in front of us, and we're going to go ahead and not submit you for the rest of the job. The company well, lost over a couple million dollars back then. That's a lot of money even back then. It was back in the 80s or late 70s. Okay, that was that was the best situation. But I'm thinking even as a, as a, from a recruiter standpoint, if someone comes in and I dress well for an interview, uh-huh. I'm not going to feel good representing them to my client because they come in wearing jeans and well, you, what the Well, that's exactly what the recruiter argued. Good argument. But, Your Honor, she's like an ambassador to me. She'll be, to argue the recruiter side, she's representing my search firm. So when I present a a candidate to my client, I want to make sure I'm sending them a a certain level of quality. Obviously, she had that quality, though. You know she did because of her experience. So you're making a subjective opinion. You're doing the same thing that every recruiter would do. Okay, you're making a subjective opinion because you're basing her lapse of judgment for that one moment. Does this mean that she's going to do it all the time? Does this mean how she's going to act all the time? Obviously not. She wouldn't have been promoted to a vice president assistant, you know, or president assistant or whatever it was that she was in this high-level position that she was in if she had always had those lapse of judgment or if she was always being unprofessional, right? That's true, too, but you know what? Um, that would feel to me like extortion. <laughs> well, what's sense. the extortion? What's the ex- what is the extortion here? It will feel like it. because, well, because like, you're I'm using also, against protective opinion. You're I'm not... thinking, because I would think that you're baiting me uh, uh, to, to give me the same, okay, the same resume, two different people. If, it's a, if I'm looking at two people, same uh-huh. resume, same requirement, uh-huh. one person came to the interview dressed like dressed professionally, the other one came in a tennis outfit, of course, I'm going I'm to I'm lean towards the, the person 
who is dressed professionally. Why can't you transcend them both then? Uh, I it's could. not for you to make the judgment call. It's for your client to make the judgment call. I could, but then I would think about how is this person representing my search firm. But she's not going to go ahead and do that if you make sure you make sure you tell her that. Uh, or you could tell your client, hey, so. yeah, I mean, you can then warn your so, what happens I, and make sure you, well, that's okay. Let me first up tell you what the court said, okay? All right. The court said, look, her experience determined and demonstrated that this may have been a one-time lapse of judgment. And it is not us to go ahead and make a subjective decision based upon what is not deemable qualifiable experience. She had the demonstrated objective qualifiable experience to show that um, demonstrated ability to get the job done. That was what we had to base our, that's what we have to base when we're looking at candidates, when we're looking to place people for the benefit of our company, we must, are the clients that we have, we have to look at what or who is, uh, what their ability is. What is the qualifications that the client sends you that were objective? For example, if your client says, I need to have a college degree, and you find candidates that only have college degrees, and you say, I'm only going to submit candidates that have a college degree, then you are actually creating a disparate impact and could be actually found guilty of of discrimination at a later date. Interesting. We're way over time, but, you know, I should stop. By the way, just to keep your heads up, first, before you go. When you talked about if this could be an entrapment situation, okay? Yes, that's the word I'm thinking for. Well, I know. Okay, then the way they use that, again, because that, there, was a, there was a lawsuit against the EEOC and a few other places because of, A, the alleged entrapment, and they were saying, no, it can't be entrapment. It was like, okay, when you speed down the street and you're racing with someone and one person gets busted and you didn't get busted but the other person got away, but you're the only one that got busted, is that entrapment when the, the cop was waiting at the side of the street or he's parked in the curb? No, you did the illegal act. It was up to you. You didn't have – they didn't convince you to buy – like, for example, or let's say if somebody sells you a TV and – or the prostitute thing. If you're John and you try to pick up a prostitute and it's a cop that you're picking up, it's not entrapment, even though she's out there baiting you. It can't be entrapment because guess what? You are the one who broke the law. They didn't tell you you had to go ahead and they didn't put a gun to your head and say go to her and offer her money. Okay. Or are you case, getting your car and go speed? In the case, in the case of the prostitution, I can see it, but in, in the employment case, I don't see it. But we'll let you have the last word on the that. employment case. If I send ah, you a that shows false card that I'm qualified for the job, and you chose not to put me in for that position, or you chose not to go ahead and put me in based upon my experience, it's then because you can always go, and we're going to cut it after this. A recruiter can say, I look at 20 different candidates. Right. So out of 20, I chose two. I mean, I chose one out of 20. So isn't that the other 19 are going to come And the EOC will come in and look at why you chose those individuals, and they're going to say, but why didn't you choose the most qualified individual? They're not going to bring in the candidates. Listen, the EOC is not going to come bring those candidates in to see what they're wearing. They're going to look at the basis upon their resumes and their qualifications. And that's what they determine, and that's what we as recruiters are supposed to make our judgment calls on. We're not supposed to go ahead and base our qual- – listen, I don't interview candidates because half of my candidates – I mean, in face-to-face, I mean. 
I, half of my candidates are in so many different other states. So I were to interview all these candidates that I had, I would be a poor woman with all the airfare I have to take, okay? I don't know what my candidates look like. I don't know who's fat, who's not, who's drooling, who's not. I just look at their ability. And that's all I base it on is their ability. Can they do the job and can they do it well? And using your analogy, that's the same kind of argument that people have used not to hire a person of black or hiring a woman or hiring a minority. Because we were not people who are minorities. Women or blacks were not standard. They were substandard. Okay. They can, they on, that, can, on that note, way mm-hmm. over time. Okay. Uh, if you would like to send a, submit a question, if you're still listening, that is. If you're still listening and awake. Oh, and you want to I'm a sure question, we might have some letters coming in on this one. <laughs> if you want to send a question or contact us uh, directly, feel free to reach out to us. You can catch us both on Twitter. Uh, my handle twitter.com slash Jim Stroud, G-I-M-S-T-R-O-U-D. You can catch Karen at twitter.com slash HireCentrix. That's H-I-R-E-C-N-T-R-I-X. You can also catch her on the website, HireCentrix.com. Thank you so much for listening. Please, please, please tell a friend about the Recruiter's Lounge. You can always use and appreciate new listeners. Until next time, we're going to say bye-bye. So, Karen, say bye-bye. 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 <laughs> bye-bye. Well, that's the end of our show, and as always, you've been a very great audience. If you like what you heard, love what you heard, or simply hate what you just heard, uh, please let us know. You can reach me, Jim Stroud, at jim at therecruiterslounge.com or karen at therecruiterslounge.com. Also, if you would, please uh, subscribe to us by iTunes or just subscribe to the site, uh, of course, therecruiterslounge.com. The theme song of the Recruiter's Lounge is courtesy of Brain Bucket and the Podsafe Music Network. Find them online at music.podshow.com. And so this ends this edition of the Retro Lounge, home of classic episodes of the Recruiter's Lounge podcast. If you haven't already, uh, subscribe now so you don't miss a future episode. Okay, cool. Until next time, bye-bye. Hi, I'm Emma. And I'm Joe. And And we're we're the the Professional Professional Book Book Nerds. Nerds. Two Mondays a month, we interview authors and talk about their upcoming books, what drives them, and their go-to order at the cafe. On Thursdays, we share recommendations and dive into topics readers face, like how do I actually read the books on my to-be-read list? You can find the Professional Book Nerds podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Want to learn more about us? Our website is professionalbooknerds.com, and you can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at ProBookNerds. We hope you'll come and listen, and as always, happy happy reading. reading!